like I Hold your head up high Till you find the bluebird of happiness You will find greater peace of mind Knowing there's a bluebird of happiness And when he sings to you Welcome back to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. In this episode, I will be continuing my look at Philip K. Dick's 1966 novel, Now Wait for Last Year, a novel about drugs, about time travel, about war, about political power, and at its core, it's about a broken and failing marriage between two people who both hate and love each other. So it's got very, very many, many Philip K. Dickian themes, even playing with false fronts, uh, alternate realities, alternate futures, and all these, these really great themes. So um, in this episode, I'll be looking at chapters 5, 6, and 7, which will take us to about the midway point in, in our story. So in the last episode, we were introduced to Eric and Kathy Sweetsent, two people who both work for the Tijuana Fur and Dye Company, one of the major corporations in the world. Eric works as a physician, keeping the boss man alive, who he's hundreds of years old, uh, one of the few people who can remember the 20, early 20th century. He's kept alive by constantly having his organs replaced. His wife, meanwhile, collects artifacts and antiques for him because he's got this deep nostalgia for the early 20th centuries and he creates baby lands basically worlds in which he can live out his childhood life and that's why they're called baby lands now early in the novel we find that eric not only is having a troublesome relationship with his his wife that he's basically been drafted to serve the u.n secretary general a man named Gino molinari who's facing all sorts of health problems and he's been drafted to essentially uh, help keep Gino Molinari alive. And that's that's what happens in the first quarter or so of the novel. It's in the second half of the novel that we learn a lot more about Gino Molinari. We learn a lot more about this. There's the fact that there's a new drug in town called JJ180, a drug that Kathy Sweetsent took earlier in the story. We find out the implications of that as well. So uh, like all Philip Dick novels, it moves kind of quickly once he establishes his his setting, he, he quickly jumps into his plot, and that's what we'll look at in these, these three chapters. As chapter five opens, Eric and Kathy Sweetsent meet each other back at their apartment, and they both have had their own little adventures. Kathy has taken this new drug, which seems, the effect of it is, is not really clear to her. What the drug does, though, is it seems to move people in time. And as we learn later on in the story, it doesn't necessarily move people along one timeline. It may move them to alternate futures. So using the use of this drug allows people to, to envision different potentialities, not, not just one possible future, not just our future. It does allow people to make it, take advantage of the past through knowledge or through, um, especially if you can go to the future and you can take knowledge back with you. But the sense there's not a singular timeline, it's not the kind of time travel where you could go in the past and, you know, you know, bet on the World Series kind of thing, because there are seems to be alternate realities, parallel universes that branch off. Kathy doesn't really know that. At this point, she just thinks it was another hallucinogenic drug, right? And that's actually how many of the characters who know about this drug think about it. They don't think people really travel through time. They just have the hallucination of traveling through time. 
And I wonder if Philip Dick had some experience with the drug where he felt he was traveling through time and that, that helped inspire this novel. So that was Kathy's adventure. Eric's adventure was, of course, meeting Gino Molinari, meeting the UN Secretary General. And they have a bit of a time travel experience themselves because Gino Molinari shook hands with Eric Sweetsent and Gino Molinari was able to help him give him some psychological advice and marital advice as he's able to read uh, essentially Eric's mind and past about a traumatic event he had early in his, earlier in his relationship with Kathy. But the big change in his life is he's now going to be working for the government in this very important high-ranking office, basically being the personal doctor of, of a sick and often dying, uh, you know, UN you know, leader, leader of the Terrans. The political situation that these characters are in, though, is, is much bigger than their personal dramas. The Earth is allied with a planet called Lilistar. The people on there are called Star Men. They look sort of like us. They're sort of humanoid, but they're fascists. They're, they're, they're hierarchical. They have secret police. They're very cruel. They, they see the Terrans just as cannon fodder for their war effort. And they're fighting a life or death war against the Reeks, a, a race of basically insect-like creatures. So Gino Molinari's biggest challenge is dealing with this war while also uh, running Earth. But primarily it's about keeping Earth from suffering too much in this war, saving Terran lives, and managing this problematic ally of people who don't really care about the fate of Terrans. So uh, Eric tells Kathy that he's taking this new job in Cheyenne, the capital of, of the UN, and that he's leaving. And at this, Kathy basically has a panic attack. I, I think she shows strong evidence of being borderline. This is a personality disorder that basically at the heart of it is this feeling of, of this fear of abandonment, right? Where you have destructive relationships and, and emotions can sway from hatred to, to intense love very quickly, but it's all based on this need to, to find validation on the outside. And I'm not a psychiatrist. I just, this is what I have my understanding of it. And Kathy really shows evidence of this year when she finds out Eric's leaving and she thinks he's leave, abandoning her entirely. And to a degree, Eric seems to suggest that, yeah, you know, I'm going because you're un I can't live with you anymore. And this is an opportunity to get away from you and start my own life. And she tries to beg him to have sex with her and he refuses. And it, it's kind of a it's kind of a touching scene where we just see how dependent Kathy Sweetsent really is on Eric. And it helps to explain her later actions where she'll... She'll do anything she can to keep Eric in her life. Despite this intense hatred they have for each other, this is a recurring theme in the novel, is marriages drifting between hatred and love, intense love and intense hatred in very rapid succession. So after this, Eric goes basically to his first day of work at his new job. He meets the, the different doctors. So Gino Molinari has a whole cadre of doctors, a whole medical staff that helps keep him alive. And they talk about the political situation here on Earth, his the difficulties that that Molinari faces, the pressure, the burden he has, and and his health problems, his chronic health problems, many of which seem to be psychosomatic or or empath empathic. Uh, you know, as we as we'll see later on, it seems to be able to take on the diseases of people near him in his office, for, you know, for himself and, and, and empathically. We also learned that Gino Molinari has this very, very young girlfriend named Mary Renike. She's like, I think she's 18 or 17. She's just out of high school. 
and she's she's a minor character in the story but seems to be a someone who understands the mole understands molinari a little bit and and is able to affect him so the doctors talk about how you know having her around is a useful tool for helping them understand and manage and and talk with with gino molinari Tea Garden goes so far as to to see most of Gino Molinari. No, Tea Garden is the head of the medical staff, the, the head doctor that that actually Eric Sweetson sort of works for. In this point, he goes so far as to suggest that Gino Molinari is some almost Christ-like figure, saying, "If you have ever, if you or I ever really accepted the moral responsibility for what we've done in our lifetime, we'd drop dead or go mad. Living creatures weren't made to understand what they do. Take the animals we run over in the road, or the animals we eat." When I was at Keto's, my monthly job to go out and poison rats. Did you ever watch a poison animal die? It's not just one, but scores of them, month after month. I don't feel it, the blame, the load. Fortunately, it doesn't register. It can't, because if it did, there'd be no way I could go on. But that's how the entire race gets by. All but the mole, as they call them. Lincoln and Mussolini. I was thinking one more of one other back about 2,000 years. End quote. So th this, is, this is, of course, a reference to Christ, but... There's a little bit of animal rights here again. This is the second reference in this book, and it doesn't really come up again, but there's this reference to animal rights. And I think this is something on Dick's mind in this part of his career. He, of course, is going to write Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which has a lot of this theme of, of animal rights. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if he was a vegetarian, but there's a suggestion that he certainly wants people to, to think more about the pain that they cause the universe through their through their actions so back in her apartment uh, Eric and Kathy's apartment Kathy is alone now ab abandoned by her husband as he went off to his new job and she's approached by basically they barge into her house she's approached by a star man and the star man is basically in the Lily stars secret police and they're all over earth they're in key positions they're they're actually one of the, part of the political situation is that if Gino Molinari doesn't do what they want, they're in a position to overthrow him basically at a moment's notice. So there's essentially a surveillance state within Terra controlled by the Starman, and Kathy is identified right away and confronted on her taking this illegal drug, JJ 180, you know, just the previous night. And she asks, well, can I see a lawyer or whatever? And they say, no, you can't. And they basically begin to extort her aid and, and pressure her to work with them, threatening her essentially with immediate execution, saying we can we have a tribunal ready to prosecute you for using this drug and we'll execute you by the end of the day if you don't do what we want. She thinks they want her to inform on Marm Hastings. Marm Hastings was at the party when she originally took the drug, JJ180, and he's kind of like a hippy-dippy guy who takes a lot of these all the new drugs and experiences with them and writes about them and he writes books on Eastern religion. He's kind of a popular culture figure. And she thinks he's the one they want. But no, they, they say, we actually want you to spy on your husband, Eric. And if you do that, we won't prosecute you. We may even help you get more drugs because you're going to be addicted. And that's another revelation in this conversation is that JJ180 is a very special drug that's addictive after the first use. If you take it just one time, you're addicted for life. And if you don't fulfill that addiction, you'll die. It's not an addiction you can recover from. And if you, even if you take the, take the drug, you are going to 
die shortly after that after that anyway so it's a pretty nasty drug despite having this power it's very useful right it's the kind of drug you give people to time travel but the costs of it are are so high uh, instant addiction and and ultimate death so Kathy's in this horrible situation now where she's being basically coerced into serving serving the starman she refuses though she does refuse. She stands up to them, and then they leave. So it, it seems a lot of what they were after was with they were they're bluffing her a bit on all the threats of, of execution, trying to get her her cooperation because they don't follow through on any of that. But she does uh, she does stand up to the starman. It's one of Kathy's brighter moments in the novel. As chapter six opens, we're we're back with Kathy, and she actually went to work um, in the office. Her office at at Tijuana Fur and Dye Corporation. And again, her job is to buy antiques and she continues to do that. But mostly what's on her mind is this drug and the fact that she's addicted and she's, she's burdened by this. She eventually talks to Jonas Ackerman, the son of the big boss man, Virgil Ackerman, about Eric, about the drug, about its impact, where it comes from. And these are like open questions at this point, like where they come from. Of course, one theory that of where it comes from is that they come from, they come from the Rigs, right? That they weren't, it wasn't made on earth. It was made by the enemy, right? And it's, a, it's essentially a weapon. Kathy uh, talks to Jonas, mostly though about her desire to go and follow Eric to Cheyenne and, and kind of take a leave of absence or get away for a job for a while. and. Jonas doesn't want her to go and says, give it a day. Um, but she says, like, I don't have a day. And she's really eager to see him. Jonas concludes from listening to her that she's on this drug, JJ180. He doesn't quite know yet. And it's street name or it's, it's tech, I guess it's not street. I guess it's street name is JJ180. Its technical name is Fodenadrin. And he knows about it. Jonas knows about it. And it was developed in Detroit, he says by a subsidiary of Tijuana Fur and Dye Corporation. It's a huge corporation with many different branches. He sees it just as uh, a hallucinogenic drug that may have some addictive qualities. He doesn't know how powerful it is. And this is where she, when she finds out it's being made in Detroit, this is when she, she kind of thinks back to the conversation with the Starman who claimed it was developed by the Rigs to be used as a weapon. And in fact, it was just made by humans and that they don't even get credit for it. She finds that kind of just another element of the weakness of Terra in, in this war and how really it's the Starmen who maintain control over, over the planet and over everything within it. She does manage to leave the conversation convincing Jonas that she's upset about the breakup with Eric and that she's not on any drug, but he does have the strong suspicion that, suspicion that she's on the drug. And the next scene, we, we flip back to Eric Sweetson, who's in Cheyenne, and he's trying to understand the mole and his medical condition. And he, so he's got this huge medical chart to, to read through, and it's the, the name on it is Mr. Brown. And this is just, this is the mole, this is Molinari, of course, but it's a huge file that he starts to study. And, and it's just a really bizarre thing. Like, he's constantly sick. But it's a sickness that's very difficult to diagnose, and sometimes it doesn't seem to make any sense. Quote, 
Mr. Brown, he reflected as he locked the foyer back into its unbreakable plastic box as a sick man, but his sickness simply could not be diagnosed, at least in the customary way, because, and this was the odd thing for which Teagarden had not prepared him, the patient had shown over the years symptoms of major organic diseases, symptoms not associated with psychosomatic disorder. There had been at least one, one time a malignancy in the liver, which had metastasized, and yet Mr. Brown had not died, and the malignancy had gone away. Anyhow, it was not there now. Tests during the last two years proved that. An exploratory operation had even been performed finally, and Mr. Brown's liver was not ever shown a degeneracy anticipated in a man his age. It was the liver of a youth of 19 or 20. In this oddity, he had been observed in other organs subject to acute examination. So there's something really bizarre that the physical characteristics of his illnesses don't match purely a psychosomatic disorder. They seem to be real things, but his organs often don't show the signs of having this disorder when he's cured of them. And Eric concludes that somehow he's given himself diseases and that he has a need to be sick. And this turns out to be fairly accurate um, description of the situation later on. Now, the motive of his constant illness is not really clear. I think Eric at this point still thinks there's something psychological going on. He thinks maybe it's a death wish. Maybe it's a some other kind of psychosis. Uh, then he goes to meet the mole and starts doing his job as as a doctor. After doing some tests on Molinari, he, he asked for his mistress, um, Rinke, to, to come. And then Eric goes and has a conversation with the head doctor, uh, Teagarden. And he presents a theory that Molinari is developing illnesses basically empathically. He's developing illnesses that other people around him have so you can have all the illnesses of everyone in the building so if someone has cancer he develops the symptoms of cancer and when that cancer is cured then it goes away in in the mole's case and he figures this out because there's a this uh, a guy in the office named mcneil who has symptoms very similar to those that molinari has this kind of pain in his stomach and you know the, the symptoms are the same, and he thinks that if we cure the one guy, then then Molinari will be, be be cured. So in chapter seven, Eric finally gets to meet Mary Mary Rinke, the mistress of, of Molinari, and she's a, a precog. She's young. She doesn't have much of an education, just like a high school education. Um, but she seems to be one of the few people who can reach him, and part, and part of that reason is she's also Italian, and she kind of can. Um, talk to him in, in almost a way that his like mother would have talked to him and that that kind of gets him to act and gets him to move and so he be, she be, she's also an indispensable person in the government for that that reason but she has a lot of suspicions about about sweet sense eric sweet sense role in the office thinking that maybe he's there to to, to put the final coup de gras on on her on her lover we get a little bit more, we learn a little bit more about how the mole rules as well as, you know, as the Molinari shows Eric sweet scent, so, some images of him giving a speech. And it's a young, healthy, vibrant Molinari who's able to get the crowd going, not the sick and dying and constantly paranoid and, or hypochondriac, not so much paranoid, but hypochondriac mole that Eric knows so well. And it's explained that this is just a robot, that they've developed robots to, to put on these different roles for, for Molinari, like a different, if he needs the, the strong, vibrant one, 
for the public persona, that is a robotic uh, figure. Now, Kathy, back in her, her conapt, is starting to experience withdrawal symptoms from, from JJ180. She eventually contacts the Starmen and agrees to help them infiltrate Cheyenne and inspiring her husband and all that, all the things they want because she needs the drug. She needs because she's already addicted to it and she's afraid she's going to die and she's experiencing these intense withdrawal symptoms. So she takes the, the drug and she's going to use it right away. And she's going to have like a fully developed time travel experience when she takes it the second time. The first time she probably did time travel too, but she just read it more as a hallucination. Now she's going to have a much more focused and purposeful use of use of the drug and she's so after taking the drug she actually does experience this time travel because she sees a cut in her finger go away right and later on she writes something on a piece of paper and she watches it she observes the the words filter like disappear in front of her so there seems to be short-term time 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 travel and now she takes this robotic taxi cab out and as she does so she's going farther and farther back in time with the taxi strangely with this robotic taxi and eventually they're they're in the past in into like the 20th century which they know because they can't pick up like the normal communication device they have radio stations but no travit no tv transmissions no fm band and things like that so they're they're definitely before like the, the 1930s right which is the same period of time that Kathy is an expert with because she collects artifacts from the 1930s for, for Virgil Ackerman. So she has gone back in time, right? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap up here because we're about halfway into, through the novel and I'm gonna pick up with Kathy's adventure in the past in the next episode. But I wanna talk about just this, the role of nostalgia in this, this novel. Um, it's a, it's a big part of the story. Virgil Ackerman certainly has it. There's a lot of investment in people living in a past and living in a past when the world was perceived to be better, especially compared to the current world of war and violence and, and massive death by the millions and, and virtual enslavement to the, to the Lily Starman. So there is good reasons perhaps to, to be a bit nostalgic for the past. And most people who use JJ 180 go to the past now, later on, Eric's going to have this idea that if everyone, everyone could kind of use this drug and kind of all drift in reality, kind of in reality, even though it's a temporary hallucination, into the past and, and live out their, their fantasies of, of an idyllic, you know, previous era, kind of a, a mass nostalgia, right? And I, I suggest we're sort of doing that now with with our fast you know our kind of revival of all these things from the past especially the 80s right my generation has this weird 80s fetish um, as i talked about in the previous previous episode when i first brought up this issue of nostalgia but eric when he uses the drug he goes to the future right which i is a more it's more useful because you can actually bring back knowledge that that can help you in the present and eric's able to do that but you're also, if you just go to the past, you, it doesn't really do anything for you because it's different timelines of the past. And you're, and you're living kind of, not even necessarily your past, you're living a past that may not be one that's actually in your timeline because, you know, there's, there seems to be multiple timelines going on at, at once. And that's what Kathy is going to experience here. She, she tries to play with the timeline a little bit, but doesn't really get her anywhere. 
So it's a dead end to go to the past. Instead, going to the future is much more productive and much more Promethean. So there's kind of a limit to how far this nostalgia can get us, it seems. At least that seems to be one way we can interpret this aspect of, of this novel. So um, what has happened? Let's just recap a little bit. Um, Eric has learned a lot more about the mole, and Kathy has learned a lot more about JJ 180. And both have gotten deeper into the world, you know, that their initial quests, the, the events that happened to them early in the story. Eric getting this new job with the UN and Kathy taking this drug. They both go deeper and deeper into that, get greater understanding about that. We don't really see how these threads are really connected, except we know that the Starmen have an interest in Kathy, you know, using her role as, as Eric's husband to infiltrate Cheyenne and spy on, on the mole and become part of their basically secret police system using her the hold that the drug has over her as their as their weapon and the next part of the episode we're going to see how Kathy meets up with Eric again and how she uses her vindictiveness and her hatred for her and her desperation not to be alone to to cause Eric to become addicted to a drug and the actions that this leads Eric to do we also learn more about Molinarni's strategy to why he's sick all the time and what's the role, what's the utility of this absurd, grotesque, you know, feeble uh, figure of Gino Molinari. I mean, what's the use, right? Why, why not be the strapping, vibrant leader shown on the, on the TV screen, right? That's the robot, robot. What's the use of being sick all the time? And it turns out there's a political function for that. So we'll talk about that in part three. Of, of my review for Now Wait for last year. As always, thanks so much for listening and for reading along with uh, reading along in Philip K. Dick's novels with me. If you have your own thoughts about this novel, please leave them below or send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. And the next time in part three, we'll look at chapters eight through 11, four chapters, bringing us right to the, the climax of the novel. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next time. You must search till you find the bluebird. You will find peace and contentment forever if you.